Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. So many great things happen and encourage you to take advantage of all of those. And one of the things that I just want to highlight is Vacation Bible School. Uh, if you've not registered your kids yet, you want to make sure to do that. It's not too late. And if you're wanting to, to serve, you're welcome to, uh, to do that as well and sign up for, for both of those things. Well, this week something really cool happened. Gretchen Armstrong is sitting back there. Gretchen, would you wave your arm? Or your hand, not your, I mean, you can wave your arm if you want to, but just your, yeah, there she is right there. Uh, Gretchen, for the last number of years, has been leading a team of people to go to the courthouse once a year to read the Bible out loud. And this past week, they had 45 people who showed up in person to read the Bible out loud at the courthouse. And they got through the entire Bible once through and then, uh, and then some. And one of the greatest, coolest things out of that is just a group of people there. They've got a tent set up and a lady shows up to the courthouse thinking that they're selling cookies. <laughs> so she walks up and she's like, oh, I thought y'all were selling cookies. And Gretchen's like, cookies have I none, but what I have I give you freely in the name of the Lord. And so shares the gospel with this lady. And right there at the Bremer County Courthouse, this lady gives her heart to Jesus. So cool, and uh, that's amazing, Gretchen. We celebrate you this morning, the team of people that uh, that you led to do that. What a fun moment to even be a part of myself, and uh, we'll look forward to next year. You know, she uh, we were texting back and forth, and she said that in years past, if 10 people showed up in person, that was a big number, and to think that 45 people were there this week is, is really cool. So, uh, and then... Uh, one other thing that, that I want to share before we dive into the message yesterday, speaking of cool moments, yesterday I had a really cool moment. Probably about six years ago, I was out on the Shell Rock River in Green with our family, and we were boating, and we came across this other family, and we became friends on the water. They were here in first service, Tony and Roxy Nicholas and Allie and Huey, and, uh, and so over time, as we became friends on the water, we invited them to come to church, and they started coming to church, and they've been at church every week for the, you, know, not, you understand what I'm saying, regularly for the last five years, and Tony asked, he said, would it be possible for me to get baptized in the Shell Rock River uh, and, uh, and have my small group come out and my family be a part of that? I said, absolutely. And I'll say to y'all, if y'all are like, hey, I really want to get baptized in the Atlantic Ocean, the Pacific Ocean, the Mediterranean Ocean, I'm your man, right? Destination weddings to exotic places and destination baptisms. You just call me, we'll make it happen. And so yesterday was a really, really fun moment to see my friend Tony get baptized and be a part of that. Let's turn our attention to the screen and see that. All right, y'all ready? All right, Tony, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Yes, I have. Do you commit to follow him all of the days of your life? Yes, I do. All right, let's plug that nose. No, I'm good. Oh, let's I'm go. I'm going to breathe it. I'm going to breathe hey, it. Because of your declaration of faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I love 
love it. It was such a cool moment, literally and figuratively. If you thought I looked cold, yes, it was. The water was cold. And then just to, to see, you know, 30 or 40 people, a small group, family be there. It was a really fun uh, moment. And so how great to be able to celebrate that today as well. Well, last week we began a new sermon series called Trust and Obey. If you miss it, I would encourage you to go online to our website, crosspointwaverly.com. Find us on YouTube or Facebook or listen on Spotify and catch up. Last week after I preached the message, Stephanie Fries came up to me in the hallway. She and Molly Burns lead the buddy room on Sunday mornings in the second service. The buddy room is for kids that would maybe struggle for whatever reason in the large group setting. And oftentimes parents with children who struggle in the large group setting like that don't even come to church because they don't think there's a place for their kids. And I'm so grateful that Stephanie and Molly have taken up this cause and, uh, and they lead the buddy room each and every single week very, very grateful for it. But she came up to me and she said, for this section, uh, I've been praying and asking God what I should be teaching to these kids. And so last Sunday, she sat in the service, and, uh, and, and so she started a series a couple of weeks ago called Trust and Obey. And, uh, and so she said, as soon as I heard the title of this series, uh, she was just blown away. It's like the Holy Spirit speaking to us or something and working in the different rooms and uh, so grateful for them. And so today, we're continuing the series Trust and Obey. Even as we've sang some of the songs that we sang today, Pastor Madison's moment after worship, it just seems like there's a theme that God's wanting to communicate to us. And so I would encourage all of us to lean in and say, Holy Spirit, whatever you want to speak to me today, and let, let's just pray right now. God, would you open up my ears to hear and my eyes to see and my heart to receive what you would have for me. Lord, would I, I just be open to your word today to transform and change my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week we started out in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, and what we see at the beginning of that chapter is as followers of Jesus, we've been chosen by him. He has picked us, and he saved us from his wrath. Peter's letter to these believers was meant to serve as a reminder of the life that they were called to live in light of the salvation that they had received and were receiving. And so today we're going to go back to the second half of 1 Peter chapter 1 and start looking and reading from verse number 13. I'd encourage you as you're taking notes, we're going to look at a number of scriptures today. And so write those down in your devotion time this week, revisit them and, and see what, what revelation you'll get from them as well this week. So verse number 13, therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with the perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, 
love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. He begins in verse number 13 by saying, preparing your minds for action. Preparing your minds for action. The King James Version says, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. And this metaphor can be missed on us today because of the type of clothing that we wear and the difference in the type of clothing that people would have been wearing when Peter was writing this. And so I have an illustration that I think will help us this morning to really grasp this idea of girding up our, uh, our loins of our mind. So uh, a number of years ago, my mother-in-law said, hey, what would be a gift that I could give to you that when I'm old, you would take care of me? And I said, you know what? I freeze all the time. And, uh, and so if you would get me an IWAM for when I'm hunting and could be warm, that would be fantastic. And so she did. One of the greatest gifts that anybody has given to me, I freeze, you know, like you saw me in the water. Tony, I baptize you, right? Uh, for, unfortunately, I couldn't wear this yesterday. And uh, so anyway, let me just, this is going to take a second. I might get out of breath. Just, just forgive me, but I'll show you. Y- you are going to be jealous. You're going to want one of these. In fact, it's so warm that I can, uh, when I wear it inside my house when I'm sleeping, uh, I can almost be warm. So um, oh, this morning, my hands were freezing in first service before I put this on, and then I was sweating as I was taking it off. And so you can see, like, it, it zips up for the sake of time in the microphone this morning. I won't put the mask up over my face that completely shields me. In addition to that, you can stand right here, zip up the bottom, and, uh, and just have your own little sleeping bag in the stand. It's, it's fantastic. And uh, if you've got a football game to go to, you know, you can stay warm. But, but one thing that this thing is designed for is to be stationary, not to be moving. So you can imagine if, if, if I'm needing to get anywhere quick in this article of clothing, you know, I'm a penguin my way across the stage. I'm, it's, it's not made for action, right? And so when we think about the clothing that, that well, I'm going to trip and fall. Uh, when we think about the clothing that we're talking about in this illustration of girding up the loins of your mind, the engineers of this suit thought of everything See my socks here? Um, and so you can, you can hike this up and gird up the loins of this suit when you're walking to the stand. And see, now I'm ready for action, right? I can move. Why are you taking pictures of me? I look ridiculous. It's bad enough that it's going to be online for everyone to see. So now I'm ready for action. I'm ready to take this off because it's hot. <laughs> This is awkward. What, I don't know what you said. No, he did not. <laughs> I don't know what church you were at, but that's weird. <laughs> With the long flowing clothing of the biblical days, a person would need to, to hike up that or to gird up the loins in order to be ready for action. Peter in this passage is outlining the characteristics of those who have accepted the living hope. And the first characteristic are people who have girded up the loins of their mind. 
In fact, the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us. And let us run with the endurance the race that is set before us, looking to who? The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. One of the marks of a believer is someone who's girded up the loins of their mind so that we can run the race of endurance without entanglements. We have to have the right mindset, and our minds need to be elevated to the things of God. Someone once said that if the outlook isn't good, then look up, right? And I think that's tremendous advice for us this morning. If the outlook isn't good, look up where our hope comes from. When we look up, then we'll be ready for action. A healthy mind is the means by which we fulfill Peter's command to be known for setting our hope completely on Christ. He calls us to gird up the loins of our minds and secondly, to be sober-minded. Well, what does that mean to be sober-minded? Honestly, if you look at the original language, it means to be free from every form of mental drunkenness or excess. He's writing to believers that they not only need to be awake and alert, not just awake and alert, but keeping full control of their ability to think and to act. And rather than being controlled by outside circumstances or substances, believers should be directed to the Spirit of God living within them. Verse 13, he says, therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We sang this song in the past, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Our hope comes from nothing else besides Jesus, and a hope in him will never let us down. The first verse is all about preparing the mind, which in turn will affect our behaviors. We can and we should trust and obey God. The first part of girding up your mind for action, we're not called to a a passive faith. Instead, we're called to an active faith. And the decision to win the battle against sin is first made in the mind. This is why Peter starts here in this passage with this segment, and then he moves on to our attitudes and behaviors. He addresses the readers as obedient children in verse number 14. He says, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Verse 14, he starts out with addressing them as obedient children. That's the assumption. As children of God, obedience is required. It's, not, uh, it, it, it's, it's required of us. It's not optional. It's expected of us. And, and I don't know who came up with this line, but, uh, but it's, it's, it's profound. And this line is, sin makes you stupid. Sin makes you stupid. Peter continues his letter by saying, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Don't be conformed to the passions that made you stupid. Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 verse number 1 addresses this and he he says sin doesn't only make you stupid, it makes you an object of God's wrath. Chapter 2 verse number 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, 
carrying out the desires of the body and mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I'm so grateful that this passage of scripture doesn't stop there. I'm grateful that God doesn't leave us in that condition. I'm grateful that he's given us a way out and none of us have to stay as sons of disobedience and the wrath, uh, the object of wrath of God. Instead, verse 14 says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. But God, and this is where our hope is, This is who we prepare our minds for. This is the God who loves us, that even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. Peter writes, get your mind right. Don't be conformed to the passions of your old life, and then takes them back to where our hope is. In verse 15, as he who called you is holy. It wasn't Peter that called them. It wasn't some other person that called them. It was God who called them. As he who called you is holy, You also be holy in all your conduct. Jesus is our example, and we're called to follow his example and be holy in our conduct. Then he takes the readers to the Old Testament. In verse number 16, he says, you shall be holy, for I am holy. He's quoting Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44, for I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground, for I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Holiness is the expectation of God for his children. So there are these two marks that mark followers of Jesus in this passage. The first is a holy mind, and the second is a holy life. Peter continues with three different motivations to keep us at living a holy, uh, a holy life and having a holy mind. In verse 16, he says, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. If you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He's shown us these two distinguishing marks of those who have put their hope solely in Christ, a holy mind and a holy life. And now Peter puts forward these three motivators. God's holy character demands it. His impartial judgment warns us to it. And Christ's sacrifice compels us in it. So the first of those is God's character demands it. We've already looked at it. The instructions that we're to be holy because he's holy. God is holy. God's not a hypocrite. He's not on a journey to perfection or holiness. He has always been holy and will always be holy. 
In that regard, there will never be a moment where we're surprised by some kind of sin or some kind of ethical issue that God has come up with. It's not in his nature or his character to have ever sinned or sinned. It's not like we go, well, God is pretty great. 90% of the time, he is amazing. But that 10%, man, he's just off his rocker on that 10%. No, instead, God is 100% holy all of the time. With humans, we've all messed up, and we're going to let others down. Perfection is something that we'll never attain. But God will never fail us. The other motivator that Paul, Peter gives is God's impartial judgment warns us to it. In verse 17, he says, if you call on him as father, if that's how you address him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Understanding that God is our Father is pivotal to us living up to our names as children of God. J.I. Packer said, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his Father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that is distinctly Christian, is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. Each of us in God's family needs to be careful how we live because we have a father who is absolutely impartial in his judgments. Maybe the way to illustrate this this morning is maybe some of you in your classes have a teacher that you've become very familiar with. And so maybe you just mail in the work, you don't really put in a whole lot of effort, and you just think, well, the teacher's my friend, there's no way that they're going to give me a low grade on that. Or you think, well, I can miss the deadline and it doesn't matter because they'll extend grace because we're friendly to them. Or maybe you have a boss that you've buddy-buddied up against, and so you know that you don't even have to show up to work, and if you do show up to work, that you don't even have to give very much effort because you're friends with this person, what, what are they going to do? If we're ever thinking like that with God or presuming that you can get away with sin or that sin, you just think, well, God will forgive me because he's my friend. There's some dangerous ground to be standing on. The idea of having God as father leads Peter to the exact opposite conclusion, not to take advantage of God's grace or his mercy, God's impartial in doling out judgment. The fact that we're called his children testifies to this very fact. And instead of presumptuous sin, which is always the result of taking his grace for granted, Peter motivates us to live out our days in fear because of his impending and impartial judgment. As God's children, we need to be serious about sin and holy living. Knowing that judgment will come should motivate us towards right thinking and right living. I'll tell you, uh, I know that right now, about 50% of the time when I head down to Cedar Falls that there is going to be some type of law enforcement officer in the median on 218. And because of that knowledge of potential impending impartial judgment, it causes me to think and to live differently. How many know what I'm talking about? 
And so when my cruise control is set at an appropriate speed, when I see that vehicle in the median, I don't have to slam on my brakes. I don't have to dig my heart out of my ankles. You know, instead, like, I'm good because I wasn't doing anything wrong. But how many know that when the cruise control isn't set and you're not as focused as you thought you were and you see that car, how many know that the thought of the impending blue lights flashing behind you is a pretty scary thought? Y'all are much more sinful than first service, and I just appreciate that. First service, people are like, I don't know, I don't ever speed, Pastor. What's wrong with you? As followers of Jesus, thinking the right things and doing the right things means we can celebrate God's grace and mercy without fear. Because of God's mercy, we live our lives in all of God's great love and mercy at peace with God because he has already set us apart. And so we don't fear the final judgment, instead we anticipate it. And as we anticipate it, we learn to live in ways that celebrate all that God has done. A man named Perkins says, this human obedience follows upon God's merciful concern to liberate those in slavery. He says, it would be irrational to be disobedient and ungrateful in the face of such a gift. We see in 1 Peter chapter 1 that God has reached out to those who had no reason to expect anything from God. And so the only natural reaction would be to be grateful and obedient. And we find ourselves in the same situation. God doesn't owe us anything. And the fact that he would set us free from the slavery of sin is an incredible gift from him that the only natural response for us would be to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to him. Christ's sacrifice compels us in holy thinking and holy living. Peter is continuing to try to motivate the audience to live up to this standard that Christ has set for us by saying that God's holy character demands it. And if God's holy character wasn't enough to inspire us for holiness, then he says, well, the impartial judgment warns us to it. And if that doesn't scare us into a pursuit of holiness, then maybe the third thing will appeal to us. A reflection of the preciousness of Jesus' sacrifice will compel us to live lives worthy of our calling. In verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. We aren't ransomed from our feudal ways with gold and silver. We're ransomed by the precious blood of Jesus, and it's the highest motive for holy living. The language Peter used reminded them what they were. They were physical slaves that needed to be set free. The word ransom carried with it a special meaning to those who would be reading or hearing this letter for the first time. There were 60 million slaves in first century Roman Empire. Many of these slaves became Christians. There were only a couple of ways out for them. One way would be that somehow they would have enough means to buy their way out or win favor with somebody who could help buy them out. Or the second way would be that the master could sell them to someone who would pay the price and set them free. Peter reminds them not only what they were, but what Christ did. That Christ shed his blood to purchase us out of the slavery of sin and set us free forever. There was nothing that we could do on our own to escape but God. The ransom means to set free by paying a price. A slave could be set free with the payment of money, but no amount of money can set a lost sinner free. Only the blood of Jesus can ransom us. In verse 20, he says, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, 
but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. And who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Jesus was who he says he was, and he did what he said he was going to do. He's trustworthy. In fact, there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. Before Jesus was arrested, before he was beaten and crucified, and before he died and was buried and raised from the dead, he told everybody exactly what was going to happen, and as he said it would happen is how it happened. So this morning, we're going to wrap up this message where Peter wraps up this first chapter with verse number 22. He writes, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. He says, having purified your souls by the obedience to the truth. Paul writes in in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Peter then addresses how holy thinking and holy living will impact our earthly relationships. He says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. When our minds are girded up, when our thought life and actions are holy, it will lead to a sincere brotherly love. In verse 23, he says, you've been born again. You've been born again. The Spirit of God has taken up residence within us. And if the Spirit of God has taken up residence within us, if our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit, then we need to think like that. We need to act like that. We need to love like that. Verse 24 says, all the flesh is like grass and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And he closes it out by saying, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. This word is still living and still active. And it's good news for us and it's trustworthy. We can read it, we can live it, and we can obey it. We can trust God. We can trust his word and we can obey it. I'm gonna ask that you would bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room. Maybe there are some of you who've come in today and you don't have a relationship with God. You've never confessed, you've never asked him to be your Lord and Savior, you've never confessed your sins to him and you say, today I wanna do that. I want to become a follower of God. The Spirit of God is tugging at my heart in this moment and you say, I I don't wanna resist that any longer. I wanna become a follower of him and be a child of God. Maybe there are others of you who at one time walked with God, but you've turned your back on him. And you say, today I need to see my relationship restored back to him. In just a moment, when I count to three, if that's you, you say, I need to ask Jesus to come into my life for the very first time. Or you say, I need to see my relationship restored back to him. When I count to three, why don't you slip up your hands all across this room? One, two, three. Lift them up all across this room. Thank you. I see that hand. You can put it down. Are there others this morning? Let's all stand. There was at least one hand that went up this morning of someone who needs to ask Jesus to come into their life for the very first time. 
or needs to see their relationship restored back to him. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if you raise your hand, I want you to repeat it after me. Mean it with everything that's within you. But know that you won't be praying this prayer alone, but that each of us in support of you will also be praying. Let's pray. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've messed up. This morning I ask for your forgiveness. Come and give me a fresh start. Be my savior. Be my king. Take over every area. Take over every aspect. And help me from this day forward to live for you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give God praise for what he's done this morning. If you raise your hand, we want to encourage you in the decision that you've made today. We'd ask that you would text the word yes to 319-250-8998. Again, if you'll text the word yes to 319-250-8998. Well, I want to pray over us in just a moment. The prayer team's going to make their way to both sides of the stage. The worship team's going to lead us in another song. And if you've come here today needing prayer for anything, I would encourage you to step out of your seat in just a moment and come forward and receive prayer. So again, I'm going to pray. Prayer team's going to make their way to the front. Worship team's going to lead out in a song. And as they do, I'd encourage you to step out of your seat. Let's pray this morning. God, thank you so much for your love for us and for your word that is still living and active and is good news to us. So Lord, I pray for those that still find themselves on the opposite side of you today, that today would be a day where they would no longer stand in opposition to you and in opposition to your word, but instead they would surrender wholeheartedly, completely to you. God, we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy, and we ask for forgiveness for at times treating it cheaply. God, this morning we ask that your Holy Spirit would search our hearts, that you would illuminate the deepest recesses of our lives that aren't bringing glory to you. God, that we would confess that to you today and make a commitment to holy thinking and holy living. God, I pray that today that you would just move mightily in this room, even in this moment right now. That as we sang about earlier, that breakthrough would come. Lord, for those that have been hanging on to areas of their life, that today would be a day that they would lay it down at your feet to live up to the name of being called a son and a daughter of you. We pray your Holy Spirit would do in this moment what only you can do in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.